Welcome to MS Master's Toolbox. In this series, Dr. Vito Arena and Dr. Ilya Kister from the New York University Grossman School of Medicine Comprehensive MS Care Center discuss tools for managing multiple sclerosis symptoms. These gems are guided by research and intended to improve quality of life for people with MS. In this episode, Dr. Arena presents tools for managing fatigue that is experienced by many with MS. Welcome back to our series, The MS Toolbox. My name is Vito Arena, and I'm excited to bring you the next in our series of -of out-of-the-box approaches to MS symptom management. Today, we'll be talking about fatigue. Fatigue is an exceptionally common symptom seen in multiple sclerosis patients, and in fact, it is the most common symptom reported. More eye-opening, 50% describe it as their most disabling aspect of their illness. And there are several aspects of fatigue in MS that distinguish it from fatigue in other situations. Patients often feel best in the morning, and their fatigue is worse in the early afternoon. It also tends to be worse in the heat. And fatigue in MS extends beyond low energy. It's a fatigue that is pervasive and present at all times, but is also often characterized by excessive tiredness out of proportion to ordinary exertion. For example, some light housework will be exhausting. And Iriarte and colleagues attempted to capture this in their description of MS fatigue as a complex symptom, which includes fatigue at rest, fatigability, and worsening of other MS symptoms. But fatigue in MS is undoubtedly multifactorial. And the first step is to investigate secondary causes of fatigue, of which there are many possible factors. You can first consider iatrogenic causes by reviewing a patient's medication list for meds with side effects of fatigue or somnolence. And this includes pain meds, anxiolytics such as benzos, some antidepressants and mood stabilizers, muscle relaxers, anti-seizure drugs such as Tegretol, used for paroxysmal symptoms. Pain in and of itself is often very consuming and distressing and leads to increasing physical and cognitive fatigue. And many non-MS medical conditions can independently cause fatigue and should be considered. And that includes anemia, thyroid dysfunction, B12 deficiency, cardiopulmonary, endocrine, and metabolic disorders, all of which are possible offenders and should be addressed. Mood disorders such as depression and anxiety often include symptomatology of fatigue and should be addressed as well. Poor sleep is linked with daytime sleepiness and fatigue, and you should consider and screen for poor sleep hygiene leading to inadequate sleep, disrupted sleep due to other symptoms such as pain and nocturia, and obstructive sleep apnea, which can be comorbid with MS. And lastly, deconditioning is an important consideration, one that has worsened for some people during the quarantine of the pandemic, whether due to modern lifestyle being increasing sedentary or other symptoms causing decreased physical activity can ultimately lead to this vicious cycle of decreased energy and fatigue. So after addressing all those possible contributing factors, fatigue still remains a pervasive symptom for our patients in MS, and it interferes with their lives socially and professionally, leading to various attempts to treat the symptom pharmacologically. And over the years, various meds have been trialed, but at the end of the day, the evidence has been conflicting. And this high-quality, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial by Nurbach and colleagues showed that the medications, such as amantadine, modafinil, and methylphenidate, were no better than placebo for improving fatigue in MS patients, but did in fact lead to more frequent adverse events. And the study shows that the blanket use of these agents can cause more harm than good. This does not mean that there is no role for pharmacotherapy, but rather a thoughtful and selective use of these agents is necessary. 
The study showed that patients who complained specifically of excessive daytime sleepiness could benefit, for example, from modafinil and methylphenidate. So, to get to the meat of the presentation, here are the strategies I will discuss today. Hydration, supplements, specifically ginseng, exercise therapy, diet, and energy conservation. To start us off, an interesting observational cross-sectional study by Jinkata and colleagues collected random urine samples from 50 female patients with MS and assessed their fatigue severity. In comparing patients with low versus high hydration status based on urine-specific gravity, there was significant difference seen in favor of those with high hydration, and urine-specific gravity was significantly correlated with fatigue. Not unsurprisingly, patients with bladder dysfunction more commonly had low hydration status. These patients often limit their fluid intake in an effort to mitigate their bladder symptoms. The study is limited by observational design and single measure of urine-specific gravity in each patient, but the point it raises that the simple state of patient's hydration status may be contributing to their fatigue is an important one, and it leads to the first very simple recommendation of reminding our patients to be mindful of their hydration status. Dark urine color, thirst, dizziness on standing, dry skin are all simple signs of dehydration that patients can be watchful for, and if present, encouraging them to increase their healthy fluid intake can prove beneficial to their fatigue, as well as other issues such as kidney stones or bladder infections. An exact estimate on intake recommendations is difficult and varies based on personal size, activity level, ambient climate. But a starting goal of about 9 cups for women and 12 cups for men is a good place to start. I'll next touch on the world of supplements. And many different supplements have been evaluated in the literature, such as L-carnitine, low-dose naltrexone, high-dose thiamine, and many more find life anecdotally and on patient forums. And patients often come to us asking about various supplements they want to try. As anything else, we look for something with some evidence of benefit and low risk of harm or side effects. Ginseng has been studied in the literature in both MS and many other disorders such as cancer-related fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, and fibromyalgia. This randomized double-blind trial compared Korean ginseng to placebo in 52 women with MS and evaluated its impact on fatigue. They found significant improvements in fatigue scores after three months of supplementation, particularly in the physical subscales of fatigue. Importantly, they observed no serious adverse events and reported only one minor adverse event of, of constipation in a patient, which was easily resolved with a dose adjustment. The study is, of course, limited by a small sample, sample of only ambulatory Iranian women, and of course requires verification in larger studies. But in the world of non-pharmacological supplements, ginseng is a potential option to try for those interested in this route. So as with anything, after consideration of any potential medication interactions, such as in this case, patients on antiplatelets or anticoagulation agents, MAOIs, or hypoglycemic agents. A trial of 250 milligrams of Korean ginseng twice daily for three months with monitoring for any side effects for fatigue and MS is an option. Next up is exercise. And I don't think it, enough good can be said about the benefits of exercise, nor the importance of the clinician's role in encouraging and guiding patients to do so. But today our focus is on fatigue and MS. In this study, 24 ambulatory patients are randomized to an exercise arm consisting of two days of exercise classes comprised of a mix of endurance, strength, and balance exercise, plus one day of patient-directed home exercise versus controls, and looked at the impact on fatigue after three and six months. They found that the exercise group had significantly greater improvements in exercise capacity, quality of life, and fatigue at three and six months. No adverse events were reported, though patients should always be encouraged to exercise safely and use proper form to limit injuries. The small size, lack of recessor blinding, 
and the fact that the study was limited to only patients with lower ADSS scores are of course limiting factors, but the study underscores the potential benefits of exercise, and on the whole, the literature is very supportive of the benefits of exercise for fatigue and MS. A Cochrane review found benefits of exercise therapy for MS fatigue, and a review by Tal Madsen and colleagues concluded that both aerobic and resistance training are equally effective for fatigue and MS. And it is important to note that a nebulous recommendation to quote-unquote exercise more can be unhelpful. We should provide patients a solid prescription, same as we would for a medication. So here, taken from recommendations by Kim and colleagues, two, two to three days per week of aerobic training and two to three days of resistance training per week done on separate days, starting at lower duration and intensity with gradual increase over time as tolerated, is a good way to improve fatigue and MS. Next, we will discuss diet, another frequent question brought to us by our patients and of notable interest in the literature. Dietary changes on the whole have positive effects on multiple aspects of patients' health, including weight loss, improved cardiovascular, and metabolic health. And there are many different diets which have been investigated in MS with different potential benefits and drawbacks, and the list includes, but is certainly not limited to, the Mediterranean diet, intermittent fasting diets, keto diets, Swank and Malls diet. And on the whole, there is limited evidence for any one diet for definitive and specific benefits, and some diets are certainly harder than others. But I will attempt to bring some evidence for a practical recommendation we can provide to our patients. I'll first discuss the Mediterranean diet, as its benefits are far-reaching and its application feasible. This recent observational cross-sectional study of 102 adult MS patients in Turkey looked at the relationship between patients' adherence to the Mediterranean diet and MS-related symptoms, including fatigue. Adherence to the Mediterranean diet was assessed using this MEDAS tool, which is a simple 14-point questionnaire, and they found a significant relationship between fatigue severity scores and the MEDAS scores after adjusting for confounders. MS-related symptom scores were significantly higher in those who consumed more than one serving of red meat or red meat products per day, and those who consumed less than one serving of butter, margarine, or cream per day reported lower fatigue severity scores. There were no adverse events reported during the study, and the limitations of course include the cross-sectional and descriptive design and the fact that patients came from only a single clinic in Turkey. I'll next address intermittent fasting as it has risen in popularity over the years and holds many interesting potential benefits. It refers to periods of regular time with very restricted or no caloric intake, and there are various approaches. You could have daily 16-hour fast with 8-hour eating windows, 24-hour fast on alternate days, intermittent caloric restriction, so on and so forth. And consumption on non-fasting days can be unrestricted or conform to other dietary interventions, such as the Mediterranean diet. Studies in obesity, diabetes, and multiple sclerosis have shown benefit, and some studies have found it is easier to adhere to intermittent fasting diets compared to traditional calorie restriction diets. And they found beneficial effect on lipid profile, weight loss, distribution of abdominal fat, glycemic control, and animal models of intermittent fasting have suggested some evidence for neuroprotective benefits as well as decrease in MS symptomatology in mouse model of MS. They found that intermittent fasting is safe and feasible in MS patients and can be incorporated as part of lifestyle modification for improved fitness and metabolic cardiovascular health.
Fitzgerald and colleagues randomized 36 patients with MS to either daily calorie restriction diet versus intermittent calorie restriction diet, which consisted of two days per week of 75% reduction in caloric needs, versus no diet. And the primary outcomes were safety and feasibility of the different calorie restriction diets, as well as adherence to those diets. And secondary outcomes included changes in weight, fasting glucose, lipid levels, and changes in patient-reported outcomes, including fatigue, sleep, and mood. They found that there was decreased adherence to the intermittent calorie restriction compared to daily calorie restriction, but both intermittent calorie restriction and daily calorie restriction had significant weight loss and significant improvement in emotional well-being and depression scores, but not on other patient-reported outcomes. There were no major adverse events, though a few patients reported hunger and headaches. The limitations, of course, include the short duration of the study, um, the fact that they relied on patient-reported dietary adherence, the study provided food for its patients, which is not practical in the real world. It was limited to patients with relapsing MS on injectable therapies only, and the secondary outcomes of patient-reported outcomes were confounded by decreased adherence to the intermittent calorie restriction diets in this study. This is in comparison to another study, which was a combination of three pilot studies looking at restriction of either the amount or the timing of calorie intake over 24 and 48 weeks. The interventions in these studies included calorie restriction, daily or intermittent, like the former study we looked at, but also time-restricted feeding. <clears throat> adherence to the calorie restriction diets was poor, but in contrast, adherence was better to the time-restricted feeding. Overall, they found no significant difference in the patient-reported outcomes, though an analysis with a linear regression model revealed that participants who lost weight has statistically, has statistically significant improvement in, in fatigue scores. And this leads to our practical recommendation. The diets have multiple proven health benefits, and there is strong evidence for the Mediterranean diet, and the intermittent fasting diet shows many benefits for overall health and diet adherence. And there's emerging evidence for diet for MS symptomatology, and patients should be encouraged to find a diet they can stick to to help improve their overall health and hopefully their fatigue. Our final gem is energy conservation techniques, which refers to various techniques and lifestyle modifications to minimize the impact of fatigue on day-to-day -day life. This study in 169 patients with MS assessed fatigue impact and quality of life in patients who underwent an energy conservation course taught by occupational therapists compared to waiting controls. They found that for those in the energy conservation management course, there were significant reductions in the physical and social subscales of the fatigue impact scale and increased vitality in the quality of life measured. There were no adverse events reported, and the limitations include generalizability in that the patients who self-identified as having significant fatigue were more motivated to complete a 12-hour course, and perhaps a larger potential limitation is that the study had the course taught by occupational therapists, which may not be accessible to all patients. A systematic review of various studies with various approaches to energy conservation instruction show that there is overall benefit to these principles. So for our patients, while energy conservation management courses may not be readily available to all patients, the principles are readily available and can be applied by our patients. And introducing patients to energy conservation techniques and guiding them to free resources which they can use and implement may be a helpful part of the plan to help minimize the impact of fatigue. And these principles include doing the most strenuous tasks in the morning when energy is at its highest, spacing out and pacing activities, prioritizing tasks so as to make the best use of available energy, taking rest breaks, 
using proper body mechanics and modifying your environment, both home and work, to minimize unnecessary energy expenditure, for example, unnecessary bending and reaching. And finally, to learn to recognize and work within one's limits. Here I've included a few resources that are free that I've found for patients to help them learn and incorporate energy conservation techniques. The items I discussed are by no means an exhaustive or definitive list, but rather a few easily accessible and implemented options that should be thought of as a holistic approach to fatigue. Many other options are available, though they may be less accessible or practical to include. Cognitive behavioral therapy and other mindfulness-based interventions have been studied and show real promise in reducing the impact of fatigue in MS patients. However, these require access to trained professionals who can instruct patients. Aquatic therapy and yoga are other forms of exercise which both have proven beneficial specifically for MS fatigue, though many patients don't have access to a pool or someone to instruct them in yoga. Cooling therapy has been studied through whole body cooling suits as used in those studies which are not readily accessible or practical. Transcranial direct current stimulation is an emerging field and is certainly showing promise for both MS fatigue and other MS symptoms, though access to materials and providers required for training are limited at this time as it's an emerging field, though certainly it's something to stay tuned for. Lastly, a randomized study by Walls and colleagues found significant improvement in fatigue measures in both the Swank and the Walls diets. However, these diets are difficult to implement, difficult to maintain, and require various supplementation. It is hard to do all of that without a nutritionist or a registered dietitian's guidance, making them somewhat impractical for most patients. Here are a few resources for some of these honorable mentions. Finally, I'd like to leave you all with a bonus gem. A small pilot study in England randomized 40 MS patients to daily supplementation with cocoa beverage, either high or low in flavonoids. Secondary outcomes looked at neurological quality of life measures, including fatigue scores, and they found a small effect on fatigue and moderate effect on fatigability. No adverse effects were seen in the study, but being a small feasibility pilot study, it was not adequately powered to detect differences. However, we can encourage patients to incorporate flavonoid-rich foods such as tea, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, legumes, red wine in moderation, and yes, some flavonoid-rich dark chocolate. So I thank you all for tuning in, and I look forward to joining you for our next installment. For a full list of references, please watch the narrated slide set on the neurologyhub.com. Thank you to Drs. Arena and Kister for sharing their knowledge with our listeners in this episode of MS Master's Toolbox. And thanks to you, our listeners. Be sure to visit the neurologyhub.com for more podcasts in the field of multiple sclerosis. MS Master's Toolbox is brought to you by the editors of the Neurology Hub and Practical Neurology.